0: And we are live from the Empire of Lies, a bastion of free speech and open discussion in the vast wasteland that is the Biden administration. I'm Lee Stranahan, investigative reporter. We're joined by Jason Goodman today from CrowdSource of Truth. And this is Backstory. Hey Jason, you there? How
1: you doing? Good. How are you? I'm well. It's a it's a pretty nice day in New York. Uh, unseasonably cool.
0: Really? Yep. What does that mean? Well, uh, it
1: was like in the 60s just the other day, and this morning I had the windows open. I haven't turned on the air conditioning. It was breezy. Just walking around, it's like 77 or something.
0: That's nice. Seems like 90. Our yeah, feels it's nice. like temperature. You know, the temperature it feels like was 105 yesterday in Whoa. Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Brutal. So, you know, we get all extremes here in South Dakota. Yeah. But we got a great show today, Jason. First off, in the first hour, we'll be talking to Wyatt Reed, who is in Columbia to cover the election. And oh, we'll yeah. have a statement Ron DeSantis made. I don't know why the governor of Florida is commenting on another country's election. I'm suspicious. Hmm. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I don't know that much about it, but why would he? It does seem weird. Why does Florida care?
0: Right, I'd say if you're governor of a state, focus on that. Yeah. But especially since Ron DeSantis could be a president, I think it's important to listen to what he's saying since he's butting his big nose into another country's business. Right. And then the second hour, we have an interview I've already done. I pre-taped it this morning with Elijah Monnier. He's a reporter of international affairs. And as he said after the interview, we went around the globe. We're talking about major stuff going on between Russia and Ukraine. And we also talked about the French elections. And he's from France, so unlike the governor of Florida this guy's the right to, to talk about it. Right. And we also talked about China and other stuff. And we'll be talking about China and other... Uh, we'll be talking about... You know what I want to talk about with you. Why leftists get points for being right on Russiagate, even though they haven't dropped any of their, I think, foolish leftist beliefs. And I'll talk about it in one second. But Jason, since you do such a fantastic job, please say the name of the show.
1: This is the backstory.
0: See, when I try to do that, my voice is still not at a point. My voice is better after a stroke. Yeah.
1: No, it's much better. I think you're 96, 97 percent. Something like
0: that. Well, with the 3 percent, I'm not. If if I try to say if I try to do what you and when Carmine was saying, if I try to say you're listening to the backstory, I just sound creepy. No, it's that's not true. <laughs> it sounds it's good. What you cr- said. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, but it's not as good as you and Carmine do. Well, thank you, thank you. So w- did you hear any of the show yesterday? Because I talked to a guy you've talked to before, David Ike. Oh, you know,
1: you told me about it, but I haven't had a chance to listen to it. I do want to hear that.
0: It was really a really great interview, and if anyone wants to comment on that interview, 202-521-1320 is the number of to calls today. And what I found out yesterday, we had a first-time caller who was with Nation of Islam, and uh, he was saying, I did not know the Nation of Islam are big fans of David Icke. Did you know that?
1: Well, I can't say that I did, but I think that David Icke has said some things in the past that question the narrative of World War II, which some people have construed to be anti-Jewish or anti-Semitic. And it's possible that people who uh, share those types of beliefs might attach to that, but that's just my guess. I don't know why.
0: Well, sure. well, I, that's a guess. I, I, I'm not insulting you, Jason, although it's going to sound like it. You're taking, you're buying into the mainstream media narrative. You're saying I'm not saying I that,
1: agree with what they've said about David Icke. I'm saying he's questioned the narrative of World War II, and because no, he's questioned I, it, what he's this fidgetful. guy called
0: in about and said they agreed with Icke on is some of the stuff that Ike said about ancient civilizations. Okay. It was nothing to do with World War II. Don't buy into the narrative. The reasons... First off, I don't believe, and I th- don't think you do, that David Ike is anti-Semitic. I think that's a Correct. smear He's against not. him by the mainstream I agree. media.
1: I've met him. He's and a very I, nice guy.
0: Right. and And therefore... Saying well, the reason they agree with him he believes Nation of Islam, as I pointed out, has been critical of Margaret Sanger hmm. publicly interesting they yeah. did a tour a few years ago. The Nation of Islam is critical of Margaret Sanger, and you can understand that, of course, yeah. right
1: Yes, I agree with them on that
0: and in my experience, the Nation of Islam has been like. Alex Jones, or like David Icke, or any number of people who I know and admire, they are smeared, and they try to make them into something they're not. And if you've ever listened to any of Malcolm X's speeches from the 60s, and consistently, Nation of Islam is in favor of self-reliance. Yeah. Have you noticed that? They're in favor of yeah.
1: My my biggest issue with the Nation of Islam is Louis Farrakhan himself, and there are some people who would say that he played a role in the assassination of Malcolm X. So I think it's a complicated – like anything, I think it's a complicated story there.
0: Well, I, and if they believe they have that case, bring it in a court of law, but they haven't done that. So what they do is it's other, otherwise it smears. Does that make sense?
1: Uh, Yes. And I think that I agree that there are stories that are amplified about them by people who want to make them look bad. But I definitely have a lot of questions about Louis Farrakhan. Not a big fan of Louis Farrakhan.
0: Well, but you do you know why not?
1: Yeah, because I think he played a role in the assassination of Malcolm X. I think he's an inflammatory, ignorant guy. Okay.
0: Okay. aside from that claim that you have admittedly no proof, I am sure. I didn't admit that that I have no proof. Well, you have evidence, but you have no proof that he's never been put into a court of law. Do you think that law enforcement loves Farrakhan so much that they don't charge him? If they had Uh, any proof, I think they would bring him to
1: court. Well, I mean, listen, we don't want to make the show about this, but I think there's a lot of people who have done things that haven't been adjudicated by courts, and that doesn't mean they didn't happen. But anyway, let's carry on with what you wanted to say about David Icke.
0: Well, no, I, I thought it was very interesting because I didn't know, and someone from the Nation nationalism who was a minister in the Nation of Islam, called in and said, and I just didn't know that about Ike. And I yeah. really think it's because, and I was talking to a friend of mine about this, and I'm going to make a broad statement. I think a lot of black Americans, if they were polled properly, a lot of black Americans, Question the narrative of the media more than yes. you think. From the, do you agree? Absolutely. I've had
1: many conversations with black people who never trust, you know, vaccines, pharmaceutical companies, anything on the news, anything the police say. I think more black people feel that way, uh, kind of like percentage wise, than white people.
0: And yet, you don't hear stories about black conspiracy theorists does that make sense you hear right. white people attacked and republicans attacked as conspiracy theorists all the time right yep but actually i think a lot of black people because they're aware of things perhaps they're skeptical of some of the government statements on medication because of the tuskegee Airmen story right
1: exactly There's just a long history of black Americans getting shafted by the system. So they're not surprised to see it happen. They expect it.
0: Now, I bring up this idea because I was watching a video and I talked about this before. I was watching Russell Brand, who I'm a fan of. Russell Brand, and he's a former leftist. He's not exactly a former leftist. Now, I'll talk about that in a second. I think he still is a leftist. Does it make sense? But he questions the woke thing. And he was talking about, on the Tucker Carlson show, Jimmy Dore was on recently. Are you familiar with comedian Jimmy Dore? Yep. Now, Jimmy Dore used to be with the Young Turks. Yeah. And he's one of those people like Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, Max Blumenthal, who are leftists. Who questioned the Russiagate narrative. Let me put them in that category. They didn't buy into the Russiagate narrative, but they're leftists. Agreed? Uh, Yeah. And I've noticed that group has a good deal of fans, and there's a little circle of them. Now, in a sense, I could have been in that category, but I figured out what was wrong with the left. Before any of those people, before Blumenthal, when Jimmy Dore was still with Young Turks, I had left the left. But I used to be a writer for the Huffington Post. You remember that? Yep. And when Andrew Breitbart met me, I was his token Democrat friend. And he liked the (laughs) fact. But I figured out what the problems were with the left and abandoned the left. And in doing that, I gave up on my audience. Those guys, all pretty supporters, I would say, right? I think yeah. Now I'm I'm not sure what Jimmy Dore's opinion is. He may be right on Russia gay. I think he is.
2: But what, what does he say right to,
0: about Russia gay? Well he's he said it was a hoax. Right. And this stuff you should say. Right. But I would like to know what Jimmy Dore thinks about an issue like, I'll pick a non-contentious one, immigration. I'll bet all of these guys still have opinions that are stupid about immigration because well, I think they're still Sanders fans.
1: Here's what I would say about Jimmy Dore from what I've observed. I find him actually very funny as a comedian. I like him as a comedian. He's, his show is enjoyable. And yeah, you're right, right. He, I agree. He, he, does, he does seem like, I mean, I, I don't think like, oh, Jimmy Dory is out there evilly trying to like, fool people. He seems like a well-intentioned guy who's looking for answers for himself. And uh, you're right, I observed that he did say that, because uh, I remember a video where he like spat on Alex Jones or something. He was like hanging out with Chank, whatever his yes, name I, is.
0: I, I will say this, I was across from him. That was the, the RNC... In 2016, the, the yeah. 2016 RNC, and Breitbart had a booth across from the Young Turks, and there huh. was suddenly a hubbub, and Jimmy Dore had spit on Roger Stone. But
1: Roger Stone, right.
0: Right, and I was there, and I saw that. Yeah, that and yeah, that, was foul. that was, by yeah. the way, where I introduced C. Bannon to Jen Young Gur. Hmm. I introduced Bannon to Jen. So, Well, yeah. I,
1: I had a much better opinion of Jimmy Dore when he got away from all those guys because I do not trust them at all. And now I have watched his show from time to time. He does have good guests on there. He's very funny when he's making commentary on stupid things that Democrats say. But when we get into – he's definitely not an investigative journalist. He's definitely not – in my opinion, it doesn't seem like he's going beyond investigations that don't happen in conversation on his show. But he has Aaron Maté on there. He has Max Blumenthal on there. And they share things with him that seem to be opening his mind to these other facts. And he's even said that, look, it's undeniable that this, that, and the other thing was better under Trump. He still has a lot of ideas that sound a little bit kind of California socialist and not that realistic to me. So I think he's a little simplistic in his thinking, but overall, I think he's a well-meaning guy.
0: Yeah, no, and I like him. And this isn't about him personally. Right. It's about realizing that there's a group of these guys, and I'd include Aaron Maté in that group. Uh-huh. They are still... They haven't figured out all the stuff that they're wrong on. And I got this because I like Russell Brand quite a bit too. But Russell Brand was saying... Jimmy Dore was on Tucker Carlson. He's like, I would probably like Jimmy Dore better than Tucker Carlson. I want to know, Russell, come out and say it. What do you disagree with Tucker Carlson on? you see what I'm saying? Explain. Yeah. Don't don't let people say, well, I probably disagree with Tucker Carlson on what. And you know what? I'll bet immigration is one issue they haven't gotten the full monty with. And immigration is such an obvious issue. Yep. It's such an obvious issue. And the default position on the left is to go, well, Trump's racist. And that's obviously BS, since Biden's least popular among Hispanics. Hispanics are concerned about illegal immigration. Yes. But I want to know what these guys disagree with Tucker on. In fact, if anyone wants to call and say what you disagree with Tucker on, and I'm just saying, go all the way. If you're going to abandon the Democrats' stupid ideas, actually abandon them. You
1: want main I, was, absolutely, and what you just said is very important. You know, I was watching—I forget where I saw the interview—but Myra Flores, this Republican candidate, who's the first Mexican American, you know, Mexican-born uh, congressional representative, she was I, this interview. I guess it was Fox or something. Oh, it was uh, Maria Bartiromo. So Myrna Flores was saying she came to the United States when she was a little girl and it was hard for her family to do it, saving money and doing all this stuff. And it's not just like, a, oh, I did the hard work and now you can't come here. She said that by opening the border like this, the only people that they're helping are the criminal gangs that are trafficking children and raping women. And, you know, they know they can get these people in. So they steal money from them. They endanger their lives. I mean, she is an immigrant. She literally represents Mexican American immigrants in Texas, and she's outlining the problems that Joe Biden and the rest of the dopes in his administration and all of these people who say, "Oh, we want open borders," sounds great, but when you get down to the practical nuts and bolts, it's bolt nuts and bolts. It's not what these people think it is.
0: And this is not—I am not taking a position as a, a party loyalist Republican. You know me. I have no problem with criticizing Donald Trump on issues where I think he's wrong. But often the criticism I have of Trump is he's too loyal to the de- Democrats, like his daughter and like Jared Kushner. He takes oh, yeah. too much of a Democrat position. Right, Jason? Mm-hmm.
1: I agree, and stupid things sometimes. Yeah, you and I both point out when he does stuff that's no good, and there's a long list.
0: And the problem is, like I say, and I think it's smart in a sense, because when I moved from the Huffington Post, and it was a transitional period, was writing for HuffPo and from for and from. And and for Andrew Breitbart at the same time. But I literally lost my entire audience on HuffPo when I said I've decided I'm a Republican because I'd seen too much corruption. And I'd, I'd seen, frankly, how dangerous a lot of their ideas were. And I thought of, you know, the other thing that's going on in the headlines We've had a lot of Supreme Court decisions today, but not the big one, not Roe v. Wade. Yeah,
1: well, or the guns in New York—that's the big one for me.
0: That's an institutional yeah. carry. Yeah, but it could come tomorrow because yeah. they—they're re- dropping a- decisions like Drake is dropping new albums. That's a <laughs> reference to the kids. Thank you. Yeah, but yeah. they're uh, dropping. They do these decisions in groups in small batches right jason i guess yeah i didn't know
1: that before today though
0: yeah that's the way so they made this decis- the decisions already right and they have not put out their roe versus wage decision which is the one everyone wants to see because we already know how it's going to end yeah in theory hmm. does that make sense
1: yeah, and there's signs going up around D.C. I think they saw this on maybe Zero Hedge, you know, planning a riot already.
0: Yes, and there'll be no stopping the riot by the Biden administration. The Biden administration it. will be selling popcorn. Right.
1: Handing out shields mm. and, uh, and uh, you know, probably Molotov cocktails and, and bail bonds.
0: Yes. And handmaidens' tail dresses. Right. they selling costumes.
1: I, there's but, something that happened that I don't understand, Lee, because they had some kind of thing where they passed new rules about additional security for the Supreme Court judges, but then the next day people were back in their residential neighborhoods terrorizing their neighbors, picketing outside their personal homes. I mean, it's, it's expressly disallowed for anyone to do that to influence any judge. I don't understand why they didn't make an announcement and just go to that neighborhood and start arresting everybody. I mean, I understand why, but they should have.
0: Well, you, you, but you understand why? Yeah. Because the Biden administration, under Jen Psaki, said the Biden administration is in favor of that kind of thing. People expressing yeah. their opinions. Right. So. Do you think we're going to be surprised by the Roe v. Wade decision? Because I don't. I don't think it's going to be. I think it will be what was leaked.
1: Yeah. I think that's right. I think that's right. And then there's going to be a big riot. And yeah, I don't think that the judges would allow themselves to be pressured. But then again, uh, who knows?
0: Now, we have not gotten also they've not found the leaker.
1: Right, that's weird, Have, isn't
0: it? It's weird, but not weird. It's right. weird in the way that the Durham, you know, the Durham prosecution is apparently slow motion. Right, and it's not surprising that the leaker investigation, even though there's a finite universe of people, it could be. I think about thirty-seven people. Who yeah. had access. Because no one's accusing the leaker of being a hacker, right? Correct.
1: It's definitely a clerk at the court, they said.
0: And there's only about 37 people who, who would have possibly had access. Yeah. So you see what I'm saying? This should be a relatively quick investigation, but it's not. Right. And I don't think they want... Anything to detract from the riots. Yep. That's my take.
1: Yeah, you're right. I think you're right. This is their this is George Floyd 2.0. So whip up, you know, and a just, summer of craziness.
0: Now, did you see any of the press conference that Marjorie Chadow Green, Louis Gilmert, and other representatives had in front of the Capitol today?
1: Oh no, not today! I've seen previous ones that they've done at the jail where they're keeping everybody. I presume they were talking about Triumph, the comic dog, getting arrested.
0: That's what this was about. This is about not Triumph, but this is about people who've Colbert's. been held. Yeah, yeah. No, and you brought up the Colbert thing. And we'll talk about that later. But they were bringing them specifically that these people, because there were more. Hearings on January 6th today. But Marjorie Taylor Green, God bless her, and other congressmen were saying the people in jail for January 6th have been, been there a long time and under yeah. very bad conditions. Yeah. What do you think about that, Jason?
1: I think she's absolutely right. I think that even if people think these people are guilty, which I don't, uh They need to be very concerned that when the system doesn't like you, your rights, which people did fight and die for, go out the window. And frankly, all this talk about the United States being the greatest country in the world is only true if we as the citizens truly have the protection of the Constitution, and these guys don't.
0: For Hillary Clinton, this is the greatest country on the face of the earth. Right. For Bill and Hillary Clinton— They can make a very good case, right?
1: Absolutely. If you've been sitting in jail since January 7th or 8th and you haven't had your speedy trial and all these other people can break the same laws and have nothing happen to them, you might think this is the worst country in the world.
0: Now, let's talk about Colombia. Do we have Wyatt on yet? Okay, so we'll take a short break. And when we come back, we'll be talking to a next special correspondent, Wyatt Reed in something about the Columbia elections, and we'll play the the DeSantis clip as well. Let's take a short break. Jason, what's the name of the show?
1: This is The Backstory.
0: Back on the backstory and on the radio in the Empire of Lies in the capital Washington, D.C., on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joining us now from Colombia, I believe, is a Sputnik special correspondent, Wyatt Reed. Hey, Wyatt, are you in Colombia now in Bogota? I,
2: that's correctly, I am. Thanks for having me on.
0: So it's great to have you on again. And uh, so I'm going to play you f- at first a, s- a clip. This is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis coming up. i bet you didn't know Florida was so instrumental in Columbia's election. Why is the governor talking about it? I don't know. But he explains it. And I'm setting it up because a lot of people, if they're Americans— This is all they've heard about the Columbia election. And then we'll talk to you about the details. Have you heard this yet, Wyatt? I believe I have, yes. Okay, so let's play presumed presidential candidate in 2024 and current governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis.
3: Hit it. I just want to say for on, on behalf of, of the people of Florida, we watched the election results down in Columbia. And we have a lot of great Colombian Americans here in our state who were very concerned uh, about what was going on. And I think the results of that election have been very, very troubling uh, for people that believe in freedom in the Western Hemisphere. uh, To elect a a former narco-terrorist and a Marxist uh, to to lead Colombia is going to be disastrous. And so we've stood with the people uh, here in Florida that have ties Colombia we've had a great relationship with Colombia as a state uh, we were all hoping that the outcome would be different uh, but we've got a problem in the Western Hemisphere uh, with Marxism and totalitarianism uh, really spreading I and mean, we thought you know 25 years ago the Cold War and all this stuff and it just keeps rearing its head uh, so uh, we'll continue to stand uh, with the people uh, of Florida here who are passionate about freedom in the Western Hemisphere particularly in Colombia uh, but but very very disappointing and very, very troubling result in that election.
0: Now, I'm going to point out something that he said towards the end of his spiel there. He said, we all thought this over 25 years ago with the Cold War and that stuff. That's a co- approximate quote. I forget what he said, but he said it all that stuff. That's an nonsensical. It literally doesn't mean anything. We thought the Cold War was about driving up the false specter of communism, right? Did not miss that's what the Cold War was about? And he's bringing up there that he thought, I point. think, I thought so too, which would mean your statement, Governor DeSantis, about I'm supposed to not like this guy simply because the leader of another country is a leftist. And I might disagree with him on many things, but I'm not drilling up fear of this. And I don't care because it's not my country. Now, did you notice that bit of nonsense by DeSantis, Wyatt?
2: Yes, I I think this is a, yeah, can you, y'all can still hear me okay? Uh, Yes. I think this is a pretty, pretty typical sort of, Move especially in Florida. We've heard a lot of this kind of rhetoric coming out of Florida on both sides, really. Because at this point, uh, it's apparently impossible to win statewide office in Florida without basically, you know, joint like starting an anti-communist league up again. And 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 you know, that's I mean that's their like their main sort of political credentials is like this is how much of not a Marxist I am. This is generally you know this is what politics in Florida has kind of devolved into over the course of. The past couple of decades, you know, you have the influx of, of Colombians uh, adding to the Venezuelans and the Cubans and the Nicaraguans. And it's always very much the most hardcore uh, anti-Marxist population that ends up in Florida. Uh, so, yeah, I don't I don't think it's terribly surprising that we hear this kind of rhetoric. We heard stuff from uh, Representative Maria Salazar a couple of weeks ago talking about how Petro is a terrorist um, and that, you know, the U.S. government needs to intervene. Oh, boy. ineffectively, she quite outright say it. She just said, you know, we need wow. to act. We need to act. You know, she didn't specify what that meant. But uh, yeah, this is, all of a sudden, you know, the mask is off as soon as, as people in Florida start talking about politics in Latin America. I'm not surprised at all that this is what the census is saying. Uh, but I think, you know, he would probably, like many people, benefit from actually coming to Colombia uh, and seeing what the kind of policies of the non-Marxists, I guess you would describe them, have done to this country. I mean, uh, over the past couple of years, the price of, of potatoes, for example, right? Staple food, everyone eats breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's gone up uh, from around five cents a pound to around a dollar a pound. We don't about a, a, a staple food increasing by 10 to 20 times throughout the wow. country in, the, in a matter of years. It's, it's, um, it's almost unfathomable. You know, yeah. um, and, and 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 to describe what this kind of economic devastation is like for people, I mean, it's it's uh, really the the election results speak for themselves. This is a country that's never elected a leftist ever, um, and but, yet but, here they are. I, things are so bad um, in a country that is. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I just, just want to ask a question because saying
1: somebody's a leftist that falls into the category of maybe subjective and vague. He straight up called him a narco terrorist, and that's accusing him of crime. And I mean, is that what's that statement based on? Is there any basis in fact? What do we know about that?
2: So in the 80s, Gustavo Petro was a member of a group called the M19 or the Movement of 19th of April. So, right, pretty much failed. Petro himself said he was never involved in any acts of violence. We we lost you there. there. M-9 yeah, uh, the what? connection's not great. Um, so there, the, he was a member of a group in the 80s called the M-19, the April of 19th movement. They were armed uh, revolutionaries. They did see themselves as trying to take over the state. They were not successful at all. Uh, but although Petro himself, as he has said many times and as a number I of his, editor. you know, um, I've pointed out he was never uh, a terribly violent man. This is not a, a guy who was, who was in, in participating in any of the acts of violence. Um, and really, when you go to certain parts of Colombia, it's, it's kind of like you get to – there is no state, right? There's a right paramilitary and there's a left paramilitary. And you kind of oh. – you go to them uh, in a place of where you would go to a state if a state existed. But for you know hundreds of square miles, especially on the, on the border of Venezuela – There really is no Colombian state. Uh, There are only armed groups, um, and many of them are offering. And people face a choice, which is to either sort of collaborate with these armed paramilitaries or starve, uh, which makes it not really much of a choice at all. Um,
3: And why why? do
2: I understand the policies that Petro is pursuing? Do I understand? And not the ones he's running on.
0: Do I understand that Gustavo Petro joined the M19 group when he was 17 years old?
2: That's, yeah, that that sounds about right to me. Um, and although, again, you know, this is kind of, this has been the main, this was the main argument of the opposition, right? This point that we're now arguing about for five minutes was that, that Petro is a, a Marxist revolutionary. This is kind of the whole campaign that they rallied around. This is what Petro is, that this, because he did this in the past, if he gets the power that he is going to turn Colombia into Venezuela uh but he's not running on a platform of chavismo he's not running on a platform of socialism uh, he is running on a platform of developed capitalism as opposed to feudalism which is really historically what uh colombia has enjoyed uh feudalism and this this is paraphrasing slightly from his victory speech but that was the phrase he used he wants developed capitalism he wants a form of capitalism that includes uh people and colombia is one of if not the most unequal countries in the entire hemisphere uh uh, the level of inclusion for people who are not uh, white, wealthy, is is really kind of shocking, you know. And I, and I say this as somebody from from D.C., where it's, it's you, see, and then the, uh, you know the ways that people kind of move into their own little worlds, own little bubbles. Uh, Columbia is very similar in the sense that you can go from, you know, I, I myself, I'm sitting in a very nice, uh, you know, hotel room. Overlooking some very not nice dwellings, and this is this is what Bogota is like, and you know this is what Colombia is like. You have these very two tiered sort of worlds, um, and so that's kind of why that's why Petro won was because he was speaking to the reality uh, that people face, uh, and obviously that was that was why even the, the race came down to the t- two candidates that it did. They didn't the the traditional sort of conservative elites here, they, their candidate didn't make it into the second round. The right-wing candidate was more no, of a populist no. figure. Uh, he was categorized as kind of a TikTok star, but uh, go ahead. Uh,
0: yeah, no, Wyatt, you're bringing up a good point. This election they won a few, couple of days ago was the second round of elections, right? Who, and, and go into more detail. Who was he up against? Who, what did that person believe? Totally clear exactly what... Uh, his opponent
2: Rodolfo Hernandez really did believe he was very clear in what he was against. He said, "I'm against corruption." Uh, that was that was kind of his main his main sales pitch. You know, I'm the anti-corruption candidate. Um, but he is a extremely wealthy real estate magnate, and he's made a lot of his money by doing deals with the same types of institutional power that presumably he planned to. Uh, to go up against it's a lot of people had difficulties believing that Uh, I mean and even uh, some of the the videos that came out of him in the last few days uh, one of them from a a yacht party in Miami that was reportedly sponsored by a bunch of Pfizer executives uh, where he's grinding up against strippers one third of his age and (laughs) and whispering sweet nothings in their ears Uh, a lot of this stuff just really does not does not look great when you talk to women in Bogota and you would describe and you would talk to them about this uh, election, it's really no contest. Um, and, and this is what I found speaking to women voters here. You know, I spoke with, with a woman with her daughter right beside her and got a, a great interview. And she talked about wanting her daughter to be able to grow up in a world that values her beyond her body, right? Beyond what men like presumably the this presidential candidate would think about uh you know about her body. Uh and I think that was a that was a compelling message as well. And the fact that you had Francia Marquez, a, a black woman uh on the ticket as well, who is from the working class, very much you know, uh spent much much of her life working as a cleaner uh in the kinds in you know, and presumably for a number of these uh, more elite oligarchic politicians that have historically run Colombia. Uh, yeah, uh, just looking at, at kind of the bread and butter issues, and then some of these some of these cultural things too. Uh, it's not a big surprise to me that Colombia voted the way it did, and I think to many people the surprise was really just that the government didn't <laughs> didn't try to do more to to potentially stop this uh, wave of 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 the you know nominally at least left side coming to power uh it makes me think you know perhaps there there have been um some warnings coming from the US side about not being too uh too over the top in how they're repressing people um because you know that's a that's another big important topic too is what this means for US relations um but uh, you know I don't I don't know if it, it was what you guys wanted to get into uh, I'd be happy to to discuss whatever angle here.
0: You now Jason do you have any questions for why Rage?
1: Well I'm curious to know if there is you know it, it seems like the United States is very involved in influencing elections all over the world and just briefly to comment on the uh grinding with strippers a third of his age I think there are a lot of men who would enjoy that but The fact that the guy is running for president and doing that at a place where he's obviously likely to be seen, uh, to me is an indicator that he's not thinking that clearly. But other than that, I understand where he's coming from.
2: Has the U.S. played a role in this guy winning, do you think, Wyatt? I wouldn't say that uh, there's any indication that I've seen that they played a role in in bringing Petro to power. Uh, If anything, I would imagine that the U.S., especially – uh, people that appeal more to the kind of anti-communist rhetoric that that plays well on the right in the U.S. Uh, I think this, if anything, this could complicate the U.S. relationship with Colombia uh, in the sense that Colombia—I mean, if you if you hear Hugo Chavez tell it, Colombia is basically the Israel uh, of South America, uh, which is to say, you know, in the same sense when Biden said. We didn't have an Israel in the Middle East. We'd ha- the U.S. would have to make one. Uh, it served historically as basically a massive military base. For many years oh. before 9-11, uh, the biggest embassy presence at the, uh, anywhere in the world at a U.S. embassy was here in Colombia. Um, I mean, that, that shows you just how important this, uh, this particular you know, sort of neoliberal regime that had been many decades uh, in the running was for U.S. interests in the region. Uh, it's it's very difficult to overstate that. And there is quite likely to be a significant amount of friction now um, in terms of, first of all, the, the incoming administration has talked about moving away from uh, oil. And this is <laughs> a particularly perilous moment for the world's oil supply, especially the U.S. oil supply. I think that could uh, cause some friction. He's talked about wanting to have a new deal, you know, a kind of new deal in terms of the environmental uh, relations. And he's talked about wanting to to, uh, eliminate the coca trade um, in a much different way from how the US has historically had Colombia do that. Historically, through things like uh, Joe Biden's uh, plan Colombia, we did things like dump, Billions of dollars into the Colombian military and police force and then have them uh, dump thousands of gallons of uh, glyphosate uh, into the presumed coca growing regions uh, and onto the presumed coca growing uh, coca farmers. So that has been historically the U.S.'s deal. We just basically pump Colombia full of weapons and full of chemicals to try to dump them on you know to basically extinguish the coke, uh, for whatever reason that has not succeeded, if, and if anything, it's done the opposite. Colombia is by far the world's largest producer of cocaine, and has been for many years. Uh, contrast that but with wait, com- excuse countries me, like Wyatt, Venezuela, Colombia.
1: Sorry, quick, go ahead. Quick question: Isn't glyphosate an insecticide?
2: Wouldn't it help cocaine grow? Well, I'm not a cocaine farmer, so I'm not the one to ask about this. Unfortunately, but. Uh, the, the kinds I, of uh, – I, I guess I can look up. Here's what I'm I can, getting at. Here's what I'm getting at. Glyphosate that is an like herbicide that kills certain weeds and grasses. Weeds, so just, right. I, but they spray it on crops to make the target crop
1: grow and kill things that would prevent the target crop from growing. I do not think glyphosate is good or healthy. But everything that you've just described – because remember, the clip that Lee played was Ron DeSantis. And uh-huh. what you're describing, the guy wants to eliminate oil and get in with the Green New Deal and make deals with Big Pharma and Big Agro.
2: Sounds like Joe Biden. Uh, I think you might have mixed up a couple of the things I'm talking about. The, the Big Pharma guy, that's Hernandez, right? That's the guy who lost. The left candidate is the one who the won. He is the only one who talked about The glyphosate. About- the glyphosate is coming from Monsanto. He's wanting, he's wanting to get rid of it. Right? He wants ah, to get rid oh, of oh, oh, oh. He wants okay. to get rid of the the mass dumping of chemicals of herbicides all over the Colombian countryside as a method of that's good. Uh, drug prevention, drug eradication. He wants to switch huh. it over to pro- crop substitution to move farmers onto different crops that are uh, right. hopefully going to – and then hopefully pump them up a bit to come up with a, a comparable rate of exchange, obviously. There's no crop that's quite as lucrative, lucrative right. as coca. <laughs> as um, Potatoes. Not yeah. that it is terribly lucrative in the end for the for the farmers who end up having to grow it, but it's lucrative right. for somebody.
0: Now, why I, I think you were down there for the – you were there when the election results came out, correct? Yes, that's correct. So from what you've seen, even though this is a tightly contested election, did the country by and large rally around – Gustavo petro or is this a love contention as
2: far as i could tell you know just being in the more popular parts of the city there was a lot of joy there was a lot of horn honking a lot of people crying in the streets a lot of people who never thought that they would see this day i went up to the kind of or more posh section where my hotel was and things were very quiet uh so you know, I think it's kind of it's kind of a thing that's going along class lines here where um, people who historically have been kind of marginalized by under these economic conditions uh, have the most to gain. Uh, people who historically have done quite well here have the most to lose. So uh, in that sense, I think, you know, that it was it was very much a, an economic divide. But I will also say I interviewed. On um, Sunday, uh, in the afternoon, I went to a place called Corferias, which is this big uh, convention center in the center of Bogotá. It's the biggest voting station in the country. Half a million people went there to cast their votes. And I caught on the way out a woman named Jenny Alejandra Medina, who is the mother of a boy named Dylan Cruz, who was shot and killed by a U.S.-funded riot police. Um, he had not quite finished school he was 18 and this was in 2019 and he was very very well known to not be a a violent type of person be very sweet and he became a martyr and kind of a symbol for the student protest movement and uh his mother uh spoke to me uh outside the the polling station she said uh Esmad shot him, and this is the right—the U.S.-funded riot police, Esmad shot him in the head for marching peacefully, and so now I'm voting. My vote is for Petro because he is the hope for us, the mothers of the victims of violence. So there's no more impunity in the cases of police violence against our kids. And uh, then that night, you know, just a few hours later, uh, as I was in the, uh, covering the victory speech of Gustavo Petro uh, she appeared on stage behind him, you know, holding this same picture that I had seen her with earlier the day, a, p- a photo of her son, you know, his school photo. Um, and she comes up and she's brought up and Petro, Petro embraces her and he gives her the microphone, mid, you know, interrupts his victory speech. And she basically, you know, he gave her the space to explain sort of what, what this meant for working Colombians. And she said, in the, in the name of my son, Dylan, who was another victim of this country... In the name of all the victims of the false positives, and that's the false positives are the 10,000 plus people, uh, many of them with mental dis- disabilities, uh, who were murdered by police and military and then dressed up in gor- uh, guerrilla fighter clothing so that those police and military members Whoa. could cash in on gift cards and get cash bonuses for Whoa. Them. So, So yeah, look up look up the false positives when you get a chance. But she says... Uh, all the victims of this government and those before it, I raise my voice for my son so there will be justice. And I welcome the new president because the hope for justice for all of us is in you. In you, hope lies for us, the poor, the needy. And then she said, you know, the black, the white, the rich, the poor, hope for all of us lies in you. Welcome to Colombia, to to our new country, Mr. President. Um, And that to me, uh, it was was a pretty emotionally stirring moment. It was hard not to feel something for this woman who had basically had everything taken from her by the last government. <clears throat> and to see for her that this, this was, you know, this is more than a man, this is more than a president. He's, he's the hope for a uh, whole generation of people that things can change in this country for the better. And in that sense, I very much understood why a lot of people are voting, voting this way uh, and why the vote went down the way that it is in terms of class lines, too. It
0: makes a lot of sense for me. Now, Jason, do you have another question for Wyatt before we wrap it up? No,
1: I mean, it's interesting. That, that gives me a better sense of – I mean, obviously, I know nothing about this candidate and virtually nothing at all about politics in Colombia. So I, I didn't mean to say anything inflammatory. I just automatically take the default position that the United States is messing with every election in every country around the world. But it sounds like a positive step. I hope this president can bring uh, prosperity to the people of Colombia.
0: Now, speaking of that, Wyatt, we know what Ron DeSantis thinks of Colombia, and we have a good idea what the Biden administration thinks. What do Colombians think of America? When you met people and they discover you're American, are they hostile towards America? Was the attitude of the average Colombian? Towards the United States. Wyatt?
2: Yeah, I don't think I've encountered any real hostility in that sense. In Colombia and in, and in all of Latin America, there's actually a lot of appreciation for Americans, for American culture, American music, American movies. Uh, and a lot of people don't, you know, in the U.S. may not realize this, but we, our biggest export, really, besides weapons, is culture. So we export, you know, what the rest of the world listens to and watches and on TV and, you know, and so there is a widespread appreciation for Americans as being kind of cool or interesting. Uh, People don't tend to, to focus their, you know, anti-American feelings that they might have on, on individuals in a way that, that we might expect usually. Um, But I think there is a a good deal of, of resentment towards the U S government, um, here in Colombia and especially throughout the region, uh, there is sort of a sense of these people have been giving us all this these billions in quote-unquote aid for years, and our situation has gotten worse, not better. Uh, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't pass the sniff test. Um, and so I think a lot of people, you know, when they really – but it takes a little bit of digging. You know, you guys know this too. It's not the the narrative that is – gonna be spoon-fed to you. Uh if you want to find out the truth about what the US has been doing in your country, you have to do quite a bit of research and you can't depend on what the mainstream media tells you. And here in Colombia, like like throughout all of Latin America, it's kind of the same thing. You you turn on Twitter or whatever, and you're getting the mainstream media narrative. And it happened just so happens that the mainstream media is owned by oligarchs and the oligarchs want you to think certain ways. And generally, those ways aren't actually going to be beneficial for you or for your family or for people, uh, working people in general. So there is there is kind of a, a, a hidden American, anti-Americanism, I would say. It I was much more pronounced, I think, when I covered the protests uh, last year here in Bogota. But uh, right now, I think, I think people are thinking about Colombia, right? And they're thinking about how will these Decisions that we make here affect us Colombians. They're not thinking about how it'll affect Uncle Sam as much as it uh, may hurt the State Department's feelings to hear that.
0: Now, Wyatt, how much longer are you going to be
2: down there? That's a a good question. Uh, I will be around in the region until I head to cover this NATO summit in Madrid. I may end up going to Quito, which is right next door. And there's massive uh, anti-neoliberal protests from a lot of indigenous groups going on there. The whole country's been militarized, so I'm not sure exactly how long they'll be here, but uh for the for for uh, a good bit, for sure
0: and Petro brought up the indigenous people in his speech a victory speech correct
2: yes uh they they were kind of guests of honor uh at at least you know and they, were, they were, the indigenous guard was right there at the very front of the stage, so that was another kind of symbolic uh symbolic move i think.
0: And thanks so much for great report, Wyatt Reed. Enjoy yourself. Yeah, thanks. You got anything, you anything good to eat down there? Oh, man. You guys are going to
2: hate me for this. I just ate pizza. I'm the, I'm the <laughs> bringoist <laughs> reporter here. <laughs>
0: okay, I'm very—I'm I'm sure the Colombians made fun of you, but that's okay. Wyatt Reed, Sputnik Correspondent, thanks so much for a great report. When we come back, we're Jason Goodman from CrowdSource of Truth. More of the backstory. We are back live from the Empire of Lies. This is an oasis of truth and free speech in the vast wasteland that is the Biden administration. I'm joined by guest co-host Jason Goodman from Crowdsource of Truth, and this is a backstory. Great appearance by correspondent, correspondent Wyatt Reed, eh, hey, Jason? Yeah, definitely,
1: and, that's a region I don't know that much about.
0: Yeah, you, very few people do. Yeah. And. What they do get is sort of watered down cold water conspiracy theories through people like Ron DeSantis. Do you think Ron DeSantis is really concerned about Colombia or concerned about the votes and financial support of Colombian Americans? Well, that's
1: what I was going to say. I think he's more concerned about Colombian voters in Florida. And that's going to be a particular type of Colombian citizen who had the... Uh, you know, kind of financial wherewithal to leave. And I mean, that's the thing. It's a very I just don't know enough about it. But obviously, yes, Ron DeSantis is going to hear the Colombian perspective from probably wealthier Colombians who reside in Florida.
0: Yes. And uh, coming up this hour, Elijah Marnier, a great interview I did this morning about geopolitics and a lot of important stuff there about Ukraine and Russia, as well as France. China, and other stuff coming up at this half hour. Jason, what, in fact, is the name of the show?
1: This is The Backstory.
0: Well done, Jason. Now, we got other stuff to talk about, but let's get the calls yeah. first, because Owl Killer is online 202-521-1320. Owl Killer, how you doing?
4: Hey, Owl Owl Killer. Those who believe absurdities will commit atrocities. That David I do yeah. yesterday was off the hook. Unbelievable.
0: Um, and I can't wait That's pretty, that means pretty good, Jason. Yes, I know. I gotta check it out. Off Thank you hook. for
1: that good review, hey, I'll kill it.
0: Al Killer speaking to the kids. Yeah. But, <laughs> but go ahead, Al Killer. Praise me more. Go ahead.
4: And then of course I heard Alex come in and say uh, he's a great patriot, so of course that that was a that was another one. So you got uh two for one, yet. <laughs>
0: that was great. It was it was really a good day. I I I don't know how to put it. And you heard him say he loved me too. Oh, he does. Alex Jones. Alex Jones said he loved me. It was awesome. And David oh. David Ike thought thought the video was fantastic. So we'll be great. back. I'm glad you approved our killer. What was your favorite yeah. part? So I actually. I love when he was like, I loved how he was
4: breaking stuff down, and I um, talking about how he initially went into the Green Party. Remember when he said that, and yes. saw how corrupt, it, like, how how it changed. And what what I really thought was uh, interesting was like the Green Party that he joined in the nineteen nineties. That they would have seen all these masks being thrown in the garbage and thrown in the street and thrown in the water. That they would have had a they would have had a fit, and how it's just been totally co opted. Um, and I, I really want you to ask him about Maurice Strong and the Club of Rome, because oh, yeah. that is that is where this green that is where this green technocracy, green communism comes from. It comes from the Club of Rome.
0: Well, al Keller, I want you to go back to that, but I'm going to point out something about the Green Party specifically in Germany, where the Green Party has some political power currently. The Green Party is so on the Ukrainian side that they're in favor of coal technology. Huh, yeah. They're saying, let's get rid of Russian oil and replace it with coal. Do you know an environmentalist on Earth who's in favor of coal? There's some environmental problems with coal, yeah. but they're so pro-Ukraine. What do you think of that? No, that's why I was up because I saw that
4: uh, Germany was firing the coal plants up. But hey, the coal plants in the West with the scrubbers, it's water vapor and CO2. That is all that comes out of those scrubbers. If you want to go look at India and if you want to look at China, that is we don't care what we're putting out. We're just going to manufacture all we want. And, you know, the West can go pay the carbon taxes and play that game. So we have shot ourselves in the foot. Um, we have enough fossil again fossil fuels. Another thing they just made up. As soon as they start doing the fracking and they they sh- they went to those dried up water uh, oil wells, like wow, that's weird. The oil's back in there. We don't even need to frack over here. And they were they were finding that all through all throughout the uh, Southwest, spe- specifically in Texas, all the old dried up water uh, oil wells where oil was never supposed to come back. Um, energy is the key to everything, and that is why. They, that is why they're, they made this – that's why they've attacked the energy sector. So I, I, I'll tell you – I want to tell you two things. So you saw the, the – the reason why Alex didn't get to interview you yesterday was because he missed his flight, among with millions of other people around the country that were trying to fly. And over the last two weeks, the number of people – flights missed or flights canceled, I think we're in the thousands. Yeah. We are turning into a third world. I went to yeah. a – Toyota dealership to buy, a, to buy a vehicle, and they don't have anything for two months, wow. they do not have anything, wow. Char- they're charging me $5,000 more above the MSRP, Wow. the sales, the sales associate told me forget it, like one, you know, normally when you go, they're always trying to make a deal with you, they want it, They want to keep you there, they yeah. don't even care anymore, they're sure it's wow. terrible, and they, they, they don't because they, they're the only – pretty much you're going to deal with whatever it is because, hey, they don't got you're – you're one of how many that are waiting for a product? And when you're – when, right. you are in, when this, there's so much scarcity, we are turning into a – in two years, this country is turning into a third world with nuclear weapons.
1: Um, I think it is. It's turned. It like is. You walk around New York City, I saw a guy sleeping in a puddle of his own urine at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I, I, and uh,
0: and what did you just say, Mister Mayor? You need to get up. Or, <laughs> what? exactly? No, I didn't say that. But
1: I mean, this is this is. You're right, Owl Killer. I mean, this is really. Uh, I'm not going near an airport until this is all way in the rearview mirror. It's not going to be. It's it. They, they may maybe never. You'll they'll
4: they may give you a bone here or there to try to make you shut up, just like with this these coal – Uh, power plants, this is for you to shut up for a little bit, and then now you're noticing the COVID, they're they're searching, to are gradually coming right back.
0: Um, Now, with with the David Icke interview, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. You notice I asked him about Mikhail Kordakovsky, who got rich on Russian oil. He bought Yukos oil. As you said, this is all about Russian oil. And I asked Ike about that and I'm not surprised. Were you shocked that he didn't know who Mikhail Kors is? I'm not.
4: No, and I I wouldn't know it if I if I wasn't paying attention to you. But you saw his reaction when you told him who he sold the uh who he get, transitioned his um st- his shares of Yuko. As soon as you said Jacob Balcher, i just sort of well, of course.
0: Here's one thing I'm doing, Jason and Alco, I'd like both of your opinions of this. I was talking with a girlfriend yesterday. I said, what I may do is write an article for Ike that's what you need to know, like 10 facts about Mikhail Kordakovsky, the hidden oligarch, Rothschild-connected oligarch behind Russiagate, and submit it to David Ike for his website to introduce him and his readers to Kordakovsky and the Soros connections and the— Rothschild connections and his, how he's behind Russiagate and so on. What do you think of that idea, Al Keller?
4: It was great, just like when you wrote the uh, article for uh, Roger Stone, although I don't think, did Roger say it was you initially?
0: No, I'm talking about submitting it to his website. It'd probably be under my byline. But I'm talking about submitting, his article's over on his website. So this would be an article for his website. I give him free of charge to to really act as an intro to Kordakowski because I think yeah. he's a very important player here. Hey, of course, of course he is, and
4: I think the three two two thing went over said too. Um, and you did you should, I I know you got caught up, but if you would have brought up that because you did say two thousand five, that the, who the co-sponsors were.
0: Yes, I saw. I I got they didn't. I didn't want to press that point because I saw he, he didn't get the reference. So I didn't want to go skull and bones and you know yeah push it too much but i i think that david ike's readers need to know who mikhail Kordakovsky is jason what do you think
1: no it's a great idea i i think it's you know listen david ike has a ton of knowledge and a ton of experience but nobody can know everything and i mean that's the whole point you share something like that with him and he and his other listeners and readers or whatever are going to put that together with tons of things that maybe you haven't heard about yet.
0: But, yes, I mean, that, that's really the idea behind it. Go ahead, Alex Keller. I'm, but again, I'm just stunned. For four
4: years, Trump couldn't get that information. I mean, you must have said it a million times. You said it on Alex Jones. You said it how many times? I he, back when you were uh, working with uh, Garland. How many? Huh. I think mean, Garland Garland still brings it up to this day. Miguel Cordakowski Yukos Oil, to the, um, gets arrested by or he gets arrested by Putin. He gives the shells. Jacob Rothschild. That's in 2003. It's in uh, I want to say it's uh, the Times of It's either Times of London or Washington Times, one or two that say, "Oh, the new man behind uh, Yukos Oil, it's Jacob Rothschild." Then 2005, you got the um, you got Senate Resolution 322, headed by, it's sponsored by Joe Biden, and the two co-sponsors are Barack Obama, before he ever knew he existed, and John McCain, both of who run for president in 2008. If and because,
0: and, and his organization is called the Open Russia Society. Do you know where he got that name from, Jason? Soros. Explicitly. He got yeah, it from Open Society, Soros. Yeah. And so he's got connections to Soros and the Rothschilds that are very clear. But he is this hidden guy. But if you notice they made a movie about him, there's a movie, Citizen K, that they made about him. Yeah. He's a Netflix star. Yeah. But Al Killer, great call as usual. 202-521-1320. Tarif, thanks for waiting. What's on your mind?
5: Thank you. Thank you, Leah. I have three um, comments. First, I'd like to say pre the science. First comment is this. Over the weekend, we had 57 top-level officers that was um, basically killed in um, Ukraine. Russia filed out what it was at. Um, the rumor is that somebody in the military has sent the information to um, the Russians, and the Russians used it to knock out the, uh, those top generals and um, colonels. And some say speculating that it's a beginning of a coup might happen in um, Ukraine to overturn Zelensky because Zelensky is an idiot and he's listening to the. <laughs> um, the second comment is dealing with um, the Times of, of like UK came out with an article saying that um, supposedly the Australian PM with some other MPs in Australia's working behind the scenes to stop the extradition of Julian Assange going to the U.S. Hopefully, if that's true, hopefully they can uh, maybe try to get Julian Assange free where he can go back to Australia, you know, without being, you know, in handcuffs or prison anymore. He could be still free and still do his journalism. My last comment, in my last comment, uh, on the old school news, uh, old... Newspaper, re- respectable newspaper in Turkey is now circulating an opinion. Or, or, I mean, articles about Turkey should leave NATO because it's not. They, they are not benefiting from um, NATO at all. Now, if Turkey do leave NATO, what's going to happen is NATO going to ha- have less influence in the Middle East and also Eurasia and also Erdogan. Turkey will become a little bit more powerful because they'll have more leverage and see, see what they can do. The is, maybe give a call. Good call.
0: Yeah, thanks very much. Now what we're gonna do, Jason, is we're gonna go to a break early because I have the pre Cape interview and I know I need to get that. So let's take a short break and we'll come back with more with Jason Goodman and our interview with Elijah Marnier on the Backstory. We are back on the Backstory with Jason Goodman from crowdsources Ruth. And I just have a quick housekeeping announcement, Jason. Tonight at 7 forgive me, tonight at, well, I want to say 7 o'clock, but I'm not sure if it's East or West Coast time, but, uh, or what, Central time. But tonight, I will be on a show with Tara Reid oh. called The Politics of Survival, and sometime tonight. 7 um, o'clock where, some, somewhere. Where, Does where sense, do just,
1: we see that? Yeah, where do we see that? Tara Reed's podcast?
0: Yes, but also I'm going to promote it on my Twitter feed. So it's already up there. They already have a graphic for that. I'm looking forward to that with Tara Reed. And I'll mention once again that Jason and I do a show on Saturdays on Patreon called High Dive. And I think the show's been going very well. Basketball Week, Jason.
1: I agree. It's a great show, Lee. And actually, you know what? A lot of High Dive viewers have been emailing me and commenting on the show. Has YouTube taken this show off of YouTube? Backstory
0: is no longer on YouTube? Well, Backstory is no longer on YouTube because they deleted my popular TV
1: channel. For being Russian, according
0: to them? I I, I don't know. Once again, it's one of those things. They took it down, and I don't know why. You've had channels taken down on YouTube. A lot. Yes. (laughs) You never know why. And since I don't know why, I don't know what I'm not supposed to do. Right. Does it make sense, Jason? Yeah. I
1: I mean, you know, there was an interview just the other day with uh, the CEO of Rumble talking about their intention to create an open source, you know, social media moderation uh, kind of rule set. And I thought that was a very good idea and a good example of how a fair market could cause something like that to win. In other words, right now, through monopolistic and dishonest practices, Twitter and Google have monopolized their respective corners of social media. But let's say Rumble comes out with this open source moderation, perhaps at some point in the future a social media platform might not be able to rise to popularity unless it embraces that open source moderation and it called for things like transparency and a jury of peer creators who could rule over your appeal and things like that, which sounded very good to me.
0: Yeah. And actually that brings up something I brought up yesterday on the show. That is a pie in the sky idea I have, but I have a lot of those. So I'm thinking about, where we're at, and I'm thinking there should be possibly a nationwide, loosely affiliated group of debate leagues, of civil debate leagues that have clear rules going in to cut down on the things that make debates uncivil. So for instance, you have it at libraries once a week, And the members of your debate league would get together. And it's almost like those. Remember, in the old days, you used to have groups like Toastmasters. And I never went to those, but where people would do speeches and talk. I would like a place where people from all sides of the aisle, all political viewpoints, could get together and discuss and debate issues. In an open, free from threats, free from bullying, free from shouting atmosphere. What do you think of that, Jason?
1: Yeah, I mean, they had the debate club in my high school, but I didn't participate in that. And the funny thing about high school and learning is that generally when you're young, you're not so interested in it. And that's when they want to try to force you to do it. And when you get older and you're like, boy, I wish I understood how this stuff worked. You, At least in my case, I had a tendency to get back into learning things a little bit more. So, yeah, something like that would be good. And also, with the changing landscape, you know, of socializing in general over the past two years, maybe now is the time something like that could succeed.
0: That's what I was thinking. Because, you know, David Ike was talking yesterday about the imp- – and I agree with this. The important thing is to get the truth out there. And how do you do it? Well, the obvious answer that everyone's got is social media. It's our website or social media account. But that has some inherent problems, as we've seen. Aside from censorship, I think social media, do you think it makes people more jerkish? Social media in
1: general. Absolutely. Particularly when they can operate behind an anonymous account. One of my first steps in combating trolls is I try, if it's an an anonymized account, I will try to discern from the history of posts, the name on the account, et cetera, who the person is and try to locate their phone number. And I've had, I would say, a 60 to 70% hit rate on that. And about 50% of the time that I call and connect with the person, I'm not calling to yell at them more. I'm calling to figure out, Is this a good person having a bad day, or is this another person in the army of organized social media disruptors who seem to be trying to destroy my business? And a lot of the time, when you get somebody on the phone, they lose that sense, even though you're not going to like go grab them through the phone. They lose that sense of being removed from the person who they're insulting, and they'll apologize and say, "Well, uh, I didn't know. I just was saying this or that." And I say, "Well, all right. So let's just." Delete the tweet and in the future maybe be a little more thoughtful about who you're insulting on the internet, who you don't know. And they do it.
0: Now, I think that no ad hominem arguments should be one of the rules. You don't yeah. get to make an argument that's basically an insult. Right. And I, I would include saying something's racist with, is an insult.
1: Unless that's you describe specifically, s- yes. Yeah.
0: Right. And that's just saying that argument's racist. If that's all you're saying, yeah, that's not an argument. That's an insult. What do you and think just to clarify? Thing?
1: Well, well, on yeah. that point, see, there there is a situation where I could be having, or you, or I, or anyone of any race could be having a debate with someone of another race, and might say something that that person could legitimately construe as racist. And it is possible that that person could articulate to you how they perceive it as racist. And it might open your eyes to saying, you know what, thank you for pointing but that out. See, my but they argument just throw it out be, there without explanation. That, that just argument, throw it out there.
0: If, if, if you were to say to somebody, you know, if I were to say, Jason Goodman, you Jew bastard, that <laughs> is an insult. You right. follow me? That yeah. is an ad hominem argument. So if you don't have to counter it by going that's anti-Semitic, and obviously that was uh completely anti-Semitic, but yeah, that's taken care of by the fact that it's an ad hominem. Does that make sense? Yeah, I,
1: absolutely I mean I just meant to say I don't want people to misconstrue what we're saying that any time anybody accuses somebody of being a racist, that it's just an attack and an ad hominem thing. There are things that people can say, like I remember one time in Los Angeles, I went out, a friend of mine was dating this girl. She had a friend. And so the four of us all went out. It wasn't really a date between me and this other girl, but I guess that was potentially somebody's idea of what might happen. And throughout the course of dinner, this girl just couldn't resist making these comments that were just so revealing to me that she grew up in an environment where it was okay. Was it like the the comment
0: I just made about you, Jason?
1: Not that on the nose, but the type of stuff where by the end of the evening... That's I the say, sign you of a really, bad first
0: date, by the way.
1: Absolutely. I, by the end of the evening, I'd say, you really dislike Jewish people, don't you? <laughs> and, I mean, it you know, was just obviously Jason, not working. Jason,
0: but, but, we got to go. Yeah. This is a pre shaped no interview. Problem. Now let's hear my interview with journalist Elijah Marnier. Enjoy on the Backstory. Very happy to be joined in the backstory by journalist Elijah Manier. Elijah, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Unfortunately, there's a lot to talk about because some of it's a bit dangerous, like the situation in Kaliningrad. But we'll talk about that in a second. Let's talk about something. Uh, you were in France. For the French parliamentary elections, correct? Yes, that is correct. And tell us what to make of it. This is elections, Macron won a re election himself recently, but losing control of parliament, how significant do you find that? Well, actually,
6: the reason why Emmanuel Macron won the presidential election is only because people did not want to vote to the extreme right. Representative marine le Pen, and he is fully aware of that because he won with just fifty three percent when many uh, French people did not vote, and all the votes of the socialist and the uh, uh, leftists went to him when they don 't get on and they are really political adversaries and any uh, National Assembly is completely different. At the National Assembly, uh, Emmanuel Macron came out with 249 votes, lacking—because uh, he needs 289, so he's lacking the majority—that he enjoyed for five years, when he was the king of France, deciding everything, without uh, the National Assembly being able to question any minister or any of his decisions. Uh, Today is completely different. He's going to have a very hard time in the next five years because the leftists who are against him and don't want to join him with the coalition have 149 votes, and the right wing, they managed to get 89, surprisingly, and even the centrists don't want to join him. So Emmanuel Emmanuel Macron has two possibilities, either to beg for coalition and go for cohabitation with a party that, with whom he doesn't agree with or call for another election when he fails to form a government and to form a, a coalition with a majority of the uh, member of the assembly. Uh, and in any case, uh, he's not going to have a, uh, an easy time. He's not going to be able to implement the policy that he desires, as he did particularly the relationship with the U.S the relationship with Russia, although he never cut the relationship with Russia, and he's the only European leader who uh, talked and met uh, President Vladimir Putin six times, and uh, he's not going to be blindly following the EU directives and whatever the U.S. Uh, impose on the EU, particularly in the war on Ukraine.
0: Now, let's talk about that. Uh, recently, Boris Johnson went to Ukraine— on a sudden visit, and that criticism, there, there, a lot of criticism came his way from people and the media in the UK. Also, Germany seems like their government's about to fall apart, largely due to support for not just Ukraine, but for the EU sanctions, which are going to be devastating on Ukraine. Is any part of Macron's electoral loss tied to Ukraine policy.
6: Well, yes, he went to Ukraine only to uh, try and get a more vote at the National Assembly. So basically, what, why he is blindly following the U.S. in the last few months because he was confronted with the presidential election and followed by the National Assembly. So for the first time, we see France really not objecting to a war when. Repeatedly, uh, France said that we are not at war with Russia. Now, he went to Ukraine because he took a position saying, I am not supporting Russia. I support uh, Europe because the general uh, feeling in Europe is why Russia uh, attacked Ukraine and is uh, occupying part of Ukraine. So he didn't want to go against that when uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the uh, leftist, and the right-wing Marine Le Pen were both with uh, uh, President Putin, with Russia against the Americans, accusing the Americans of manipulating this war and pushing NATO to confront Russia and drag it into Ukraine to start a war to uh, cripple the Russian economy. So the population is split. This is why In the election, you have, for the first time at the National Assembly, 54 percent of the population did not vote. Mainly, the uh, young generation refused to go uh, to give their vote, because they didn't believe in Macron, and they didn't believe that any of the candidates had a a program that can be implemented. This is why we had um, a manifestation in Brussels we will have plenty of manifestation in France and in other parts of Europe because of the inflation that is harming every single uh, inhabitant of the European continent.
0: Now Vladimir Putin last week at the St. Petersburg Economic Forum accused EU of not being sovereign because of their fealty to the United States. Is that there that sense in Europe that through the EU, Europe has become basically a vassal state of the U.S. and does what the U.S. says and not what is in their best interests.
6: Absolutely. In the first weeks of the war, the feeling was mixed with uh, what Russia is doing and thinking that this is legitimate to defend itself and make sure that there are no nuclear bomb in Ukraine if it become members of NATO, and other people thinking that we don't want a war in Europe and we certainly condemn the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now people are saying, well, why are we are shooting ourselves in the foot? Well, Russia, if you are saying Russia is not our enemy, if you're saying it is our trade and business partner, If you're saying that we still need the gas from Russia for the next couple of years, including the oil and other minerals, etc., then why we are imposing uh, sanctions on Russia and we have to pay the price of your decision that are coming from the U.S.? Because at the end of the day, if we continue taking gas from Russia and the relationship is normal, we don't have this inflation. This is uh, what is happening today. Is Europe is taking decisions that are not compatible with the interests of the European uh, citizen and are, in, are compatible with the will of the U.S. to declare war on Russia in uh, the continent, using European economy and territory to confront Russia.
0: Now, I I mentioned. Let's talk about Kaliningrad. First off, I think this is a, a dangerous situation potentially. Do, do you
6: agree? I fully agree. It is extremely dangerous. Yes.
0: Now, so let's explain first. Let's do for. I, I think most people are not even aware of what Kaliningrad is. Would you agree? It's a it's a small region. So tell us about Kaliningrad. What what is it?
6: It's a small region that was given to Russia immediately after the Second World War that used to belong to the German Empire that started the Second World War. And uh, uh, Kaliningrad became uh, the base, the naval base of the Russian uh, Baltic Sea and Baltic Fleet. This is why it is important, uh, because in 1991, after the perestroika, there were talk about the the dissolution of the Warsaw Pact and there was no need for a military body and united with all Eastern Europe against NATO. So that was an agreement that the Warsaw Pact will be dissolved, and NATO too. Now, NATO was not dissolved. And uh, in 2003, there was an agreement between Russia and Lithuania that uh, Lithuania will facilitate, according to a treaty, all railway support that comes from Russia to Kaliningrad and Kaliningrad is an exclave that is surrounded by the sea on one side the Baltic Sea and on another other side is Poland and Lithuania so the only way to reach Kaliningrad by land is through Lithuania now what happened recently is the EU imposed sanctions on Russia in March of this year. Suddenly, Lithuania decided yesterday to implement these sanctions. Although all the goods that go to uh, Kaliningrad do not uh, are not open in on the European territory, but they go as a transit, and there is an agreement between uh, Lithuania and Russia that everything will be sealed and the train will not stop until reaching Kaliningrad. So there's no way these goods will land on the European territory. This is why Lithuania, by saying the land transit is uh, banned for the goods that are sanctioned by the EU, first of all is illegal because it's against uh, the treaty agreement. Secondly, it doesn't fit with, the, with what Lithuania is saying because uh, the goods are not open on the EU territory. They start from non-EU country and end in a non-EU country, and the crossing is allowed. Now, Lithuania is a 65,000 square kilometers, which is equivalent to half of what Russia has managed to control in the last 100 days of the war in Ukraine. It has 2.8 million inhabitants, which is a very small number for what Russia can confront. Lithuania is a member of the EU and is a member of NATO, and Lithuania is hiding behind uh, the Article 5 in uh, NATO uh, um, agreement and uh, uh, convention that any country that is attacked all the NATO country will respond and will have to defend it. Well, it, it can happen only when all the 13 NATO countries agree on supporting an attacked country. This didn't happen with Turkey in 2012, and didn't happen with Turkey again in 2015, when Turkey, uh, second largest uh, power in NATO, and with uh, the number of soldiers that are in NATO— Uh, ask for the implementation of the Article 5, and NATO said, well, we feel sorry for you, but we're not going to support you because we don't want to start a war with Russia because Turkey downed a Russian plane on the Syrian-Turkish border. So if Lithuania is thinking that uh, NATO will start a third world war against Russia because of their move to stop the railway crossing, it is making a real mistake. And so far, has Turkey given any indication of what it will do about this Kaliningrad situation? Well, uh, Turkey saying that we need the, the two sides needs to talk. Uh, the uh, the uh, uh, Russian have spoken to the EU ambassador in Moscow, who said we can solve the situation diplomatically. And I think Lithuania will stand down on its decision, and they will find the formula however kaliningrad uh, already received an answer from russia that they will be supplied with all the goods they need by sea because the sea the baltic sea is a common sea between russia and kaliningrad
0: now we've already had uk ukraine officials support they say they applaud lithuania for doing this even though it violates the treaty This seems to me to be an unnecessary
6: provocation. Why do you think Lithuania did this? I don't think Lithuania did this by itself. It is a U.S. decision to force Russia to negotiate and stop the war. And I will explain. The war is going on now, and it is completely damaging the EU economy and the U.S. economy because inflation is reaching uh, the 9.5% Uh, also, and is affecting the rest of the world because the sanctions were imposed on Russia's ships, on Russia's uh, swift payment. So Russia is considered the largest country exporter of wheat that amount to 24% of the total export in the world, uh, when Ukraine is only 8%, and it's it's the ranking uh, fifth among the list. So when the U.S. has imposed a sanction on Russian ship, they cannot uh, export the wheat and they cannot be paid for because countries can't use the SWIFT that is under the control of the American, which is a financial payment method to exchange the money from one country to another, and that goes via New York. So when the Americans stop that, uh, they realize today that all these sanctions are turning against them, against the U.S against Europe and against the rest of the world. What Russia is doing—Russia, obviously, is not in a hurry to end this war because the price of oil varies between $112 to $120 a barrel. By selling the oil at this price, Russia is making $1 billion a month that financing largely the war in Ukraine and Russia is managing to put half of the money in its pocket in reserve of foreign currency. So why on earth the Russia, Russia would Russia stop the war in Ukraine it's so easily, so swiftly, and say, okay, I've reached my objective, and I'll stop now? If the West and NATO is still supplying new Ukraine with weapons, Russia is saying, okay, as long as you continue supplying new Ukraine with weapons, I will continue the war. and that is turning completely counterproductive to the US and the EU. They need the tool to force the hand of Russia. Well this is not going to work because Russia is threatening Lithuania now. Lithuania is justifying itself. Today Joseph Borrell the kind of foreign minister of the EU justify himself saying, well, Lithuania is only implementing the EU sanctions that were pronounced in March. And then he had questions that he could not answer. Well, why, if they were implemented in March, now you suddenly uh, applying it in Lithuania on the 20th of June? So he couldn't answer this question because obviously it is not the EU decision. Now, we'll come back to
0: Colin McGrath in a second. But another decision that I don't understand, I, in other words, I understand it, but Ukraine recently banned all Russian culture, songs and books, novels and music. What is the strategic advantage when Ukraine is obviously losing militarily all over Donbas, Right. When they're losing militarily, what is the advantage in the middle of a
6: military conflict of Ukraine banning Russian culture? There's no advantage. Absolutely none. Ukraine is just saying we are completely detaching ourselves from Russia, although there is a strong family link between the two countries, and they speak more or less the same language. So what they are doing is they're saying, well, we detach ourselves and we are now linked to the West. We want to become part of the EU. We are partner with NATO. We're not members of NATO, and we want to be linked to the U.S. against Russia. So this is a message because it makes no sense. It's not surprising of a neo-Nazi uh, command in Ukraine to take uh, this decision. We've seen the Azov Battalion behaving uh, in a, uh, and having all the Nazi symbol and having a strong influence on the uh, Ukrainian president, who is at the end of the day, his job is being a comedian, and he's really doing it perfectly well because at the end of the day, he doesn't have the decision. The decision is in the hand of the Americans. Never are these two decisions
0: on Russian culture, and Kaliningrad into one another. I think, does it give Russian speakers, Russian people, Russian people, ethnically Russian, the the sense that the battle is against them, not just Putin, not just the country of Russia, but against Russia as a cultural institution? Are both of these decisions
6: seem to reinforce that belief. Yes, this is what the Americans started at the first beginning to say, this is a war on Putin. It is not a war on Russia, although they imposed all the sanctions, and when the sanctions are imposed normally, they only hurt the population. They've done that in Afghanistan. They've done that in Iraq. They've done it in Iran. They've done it in Syria, in Lebanon. They do it in Venezuela, and they continue doing it. It is not against the leaders, because leaders don't suffer. It is the population. So what the Americans are—tried tr- are to demonize uh, President Putin at the first beginning, to say we have nothing against the Russian population, when they ban the Russian music in Europe, they uh, stop uh, the university professors from giving lecture on Russian culture or Russian studies that, all that is really ridiculous and is not going to change anything, because it's not going to turn the population in Europe or in America against the Russian. So what they are doing is just trying to really uh, turn the Russian population against President Putin, as they have tried to do it in Syria against President Assad and in Iran against the Islamic Revolution. So this is a déjà vu uh, style of the U.S. to do it a bit everywhere, using the color revolution, the titles of democracy and freedom, but then they align themselves with all the dictators of this world. So we're very familiar with that, and it's not going to work. Now, the response by Russia, uh, uh, the official response
0: by Russia, seemed to have been summed up in an interview with Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister, did with the BBC BBC last week, where he, at one point in the interview, Lavrov said, we don't care what you think, to the interviewer. The interviewer said, well, the West thinks this, and Lavrov said quite explicitly, we don't care what you think. I'm seeing a response from Russia, and this includes in Kaliningrad. Russia is not backing down on this. Russia's responding, I would say, firmly. What what do you think, Elijah?
6: I fully agree with you. Russia uh, is behaving normally because that would be the normal reaction of a country that is under attack, that has been provoked to a war. And the problem is really, we've seen that in so many places around the world, that the West is failing to understand other culture, thinking that by sanction they can impose their will. They did not on a very small country like Venezuela. They did not manage with Yemen. They didn't manage with Iran, sanctioned since 1979. They're not going to manage with Russia. That is the second world exporter of uh, weapons that uh, can accept all the damage of personnel and effective, and can restart from scratch. This is what they've done in Ukraine. They can adapt to any situation. The West has failing to understand the Russian. This is why uh, Minister Lavrov said, "I don't care what you think, because the Russian continue the war and the ask from the first beginning from Ukraine to sign a neutrality deal. Ukraine refused." The Americans thought they can win this war. The first weeks gave them this impression when Russia went from the north toward Kiev and then pulled back and concentrated on the Donbass area that encouraged the West to continue. We heard uh, Victoria Nuland, the Undersecretary of State, who is, by the way, the leader of Ukraine since 2014, uh, when uh, she was caught on— a conversation with the U.S. ambassador, managing Ukraine and appointing the person that she wants in the leadership. So as they, the Americans are saying, we want to teach Russia a lesson, we want to bring Russia on its knees, and they're not managing. We are going on our knees. We see how the economy is uh, collapsing they increase the government increased the prior, the salary in Belgium of 0.5% while the inflation is 9.5%. There is no equilibrium so people go to the street there were 80,000 in the street yesterday in Brussels and we will see that in France. We'll wait until the European leaders will stop subsidizing and paying tens of billions of dollars to compensate their decision. And then when they will say we don't have money anymore, everybody's going to go on the street. So this is the failure of understanding other culture, the failure of understanding the objective of other people. When China went to the Solomon Island, that are 9,800 kilometers from the U.S. and 2,000 from Australia, both countries, Australia and the U.S., said this is a red line for us. Now. When Ukraine wants to join NATO and the US is known to spread 150 nuclear bombs so far in all NATO countries, so how the world, how Russia would feel about having a nuclear bomb that can reach Moscow in five to six minutes?
0: Right. Now, let's talk about China, because the same way I see Russia basically very publicly saying, we're not playing this we're not going to be intimidated, we'll do what we want, we are a sovereign nation, and we're going to act like it. Do you see China recently making statements that indicate they're not playing with the U.S. anymore?
6: Russia is fully supporting, um, China is fully supporting Russia. However, it has a partnership with the U.S. and the EU and is not ready to spoil this partnership. Now, the support to Russia is in the interest of China, because Russia is defying the unilateral hegemony of the world led by the U.S. That is very supportive of China, because it is time for a multipolar world where people don't live under the dominance and the uh, colonialism of the U.S. This is why China is, from day one, saying, that you've provoked Russia, and there there was an agreement between the Americans and the Russians that NATO will not expand more than the 12 countries that they were members since 1990, and you have become, uh, today, expanded to 30 nations. Now, this is what China's position is. However, China is supporting Russia, but is also in good terms with the EU. And the EU is buying from Russia what they need through, the, through China and through other countries, even India. So China is, doesn't have a policy of confrontation uh, unless you touch upon Taiwan.
0: Yes. Let's end it there. It's been a great conversation about what's going on in the world. Elijah Monier. thank you so much for being on The Backstory. Thank you. And so that was my interview with Elijah Monier. He knows a lot about geopolitics. I think we covered a lot of stuff. Let me talk about some of the other headlines going on in the Russia-Ukraine war. I didn't get a chance much to talk about this yesterday. But yesterday morning, Russia was announcing they had struck a command post in Ukraine, and killed 57 officers and generals. Wow. Now, I've seen, Jason, you there? Yeah. Has you heard that?
1: I had not heard that, no.
0: Now, Russia has typically, when they've talked about their military accomplishments, been more or less honest. I say more or less because, you know, it's war. So right. I'm not holding him to every single number is exactly right. But broadly, Russia has been honest, I would say, realistic in their assessment of the war, whereas Ukraine has lied over and over again. Remember the ghosts right. of Kiev? Remember yeah. Snake Island? Is that your experience, Jason?
1: It's difficult for me to gauge, but I will say that in general, I think that Putin, throughout his career, is not, he's the opposite of Trump. And when I say that, I mean, Trump is a lot of bluster and salesmanship and Putin just sort of sits there quietly, listens to what you have to say and responds with something that like, you know, well, okay, you've just said X, Y and Z. Do you have evidence? And then the questioner inevitably just goes on to the next thing. So being truthful about what they're doing rather than boasting about something, it's just not his style. He wants the facts to rise to the surface and he's going to win and he doesn't need to lie about it
0: well and the things i mentioned for instance snake island and the ghost of kiev ukraine has admitted now that those were fabrications yeah so you know without looking into it all you do is look at they admitted they were lying and they've admitted you know why ukraine's been lying over and over again they've admitted this too they want more weapons right Obvious. And, and weapons. It's not yeah. just the money, the weapons. But right. I think you're right. Putin is very realistic because he he's, he recognizes, I think, that lying about how your economy is doing doesn't make your economy better. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. Did you see Biden yesterday yelled Falling the reporter the for asking about recession? Did you well, see that I clip? Looking-
1: I did. I was a little too preoccupied by the fact that nobody was asking him what's up with the diary, even though Ashley was standing right next
2: to him.
0: Yes, that would have been good. <laughs> and that's, that's why I talked about on Alice Jones' show with Owen yesterday, which Ashley Biden's diary. And we yeah. talked about it. Do you know, by the way, you want to know this. The reason yeah. I was asked to be in it for wars, they had seen what you and I were talking about. Oh, wow. That's why. So somebody's out there watching you. Jason, yep. don't get freaked out. No, 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 by that. that. It's that's good. cool.
1: That's cool. It is.
0: And everyone should be talking about Ashley Biden's diary every day. Have you heard of anyone banned from social media for talking about Ashley Biden's diary? Anyone? <laughs> don't don't put the the on us. <laughs> no, Not no, yet. but but if they haven't done it
1: yet, right? Go right. ahead. They won't. You're right. They want you to talk and, about and,
0: it. And so. Jason, great job co-hosting, as usual. We'll talk to you later. Goodbye from the backstory.